Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. The year was 490 BC. And the much larger and more powerful Persian army had once again attacked Greece. The battle was taking place on the coastal plain of a city named Marathon. And much to everybody's surprise, the Athenians and the Grecian army started to withstand the Persians. They they even started to drive them back to where victory was certainly coming. So the leaders of the Athenian army, they dispatched a man named Pheidippides to go and to carry the news of the victory back to Athens. The story goes that he ran from Marathon to Athens, which is roughly how many miles? Any guesses? 26, yeah, about 26.2 miles. You see where this is going, okay? And he went to the Acropolis and he announced victory or Nikkei or Nike. (laughs) And victory, victory, we've won victory. The story goes that right after he announced the victory, he fell over and died. The moral of the story is don't run a marathon, okay? Um, <laughs> now, just kidding. What, what is Phidippides doing? What's he doing? Well, he's carrying the news. He's a, he's a news anchor. He's a forerunner to Twitter. He's telling people what happened 26.2 miles away that would have a dramatic effect on their life every single day that they lived victory. But there's another word for what he was doing. See, in in that world and that time, they would have used the word euangelion to describe what he was doing. He was preaching good news. Or, Or we might even say that Pheidippides was carrying gospel. Uh, See, that word gospel has come to mean a whole lot of things in our day and culture, but it was used in a different way in ancient Greece and throughout the Roman Empire. That word was used to announce uh, victory on a battlefield. Gospel, we won. That word was used to announce when uh, part of a royal family had a child that was born. Gospel, good news. Another child in the royal family. It was used to announce, well, the news (laughs) that heralds would carry to different points of the world and they would say, euangelion, gospel, good news. This has happened there, which has a massive impact for how we live here. (laughs) See, Phidippides was just simply carrying the news. Now, we hear a lot about news today, don't we? There's, There's news everywhere today. You can find 24-hour news on your TV. You can listen to 24-hour news on the radio. You can have a 24-hour news app that updates constantly. Now, I will suggest to you that your mental health might be compromised if you spend too much time in the news. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) But even in our day and time, the news is big business. I mean, in 2020, Fox News made $1.8 billion dollars. CNN made $715 million, 
MSNBC made $575 million. All of those are profit. The, the news is profitable in our day and time, is it not? It's nearly ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And yet, I don't know if you've noticed this. I've noticed this. News is everywhere, but good news is scarce. Good news can be hard to find. And it's interesting because in the ancient world, news wasn't quite as profitable, but it was just as powerful. And Paul, in the next section that we're studying in 1 Corinthians, is going to share euangelion. He's going to share news. He's going to share what he calls good news and what we call gospel. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and as you turn there, let me just remind you of where we've been over the last few weeks. We studied chapter 12, which was about the different manifestations of the Spirit in the life of the church. Chapter 13, that was about one word, and that word is love, which is the way that we steward and the way that we allow the gifts to be used in our midst. Love is our guiding ethic for everything we do as followers of Jesus. And then in chapter 14, Paul talked about the unique manifestations of prophecy and tongues, specifically how they're used in the worship gathering, but also how they're used in our own personal lives. And now we come to what will end up being the end of Paul's letter. It begins in chapter 15. It's chapter six of our season number six in our series in 1 Corinthians. And we are calling this season anastasis. It's the Greek word that means resurrection, resurrection. And listen to the way that Paul began this section. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse one, are you there? Right on, here's what he wrote. He said, now I would, what? Remind you. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded, right? Sometimes we just need to hear something we have heard before so that it sinks deeper into our lives. I would remind you brothers of the, what? Of the gospel, of euangelion, of of news (laughs) that I preached to you, that you received, in which you stand. It's really interesting what Paul's doing here. He's saying, when I was with you for that year and a half, a number of years before writing this letter, the thing that I did was declare or proclaim good news to you. And you received it, which was any rabbi who was um, interacting with his disciples, the very first thing his disciples would have to do is receive his teaching, to take it into their life, to identify it as truth. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say you received it. He said, in which you, what? In which you stand. To stand in news is to embrace it as the fundamental element or center or core of your life. It's to ground your existence in that thing. (laughs) That the gospel is surely the firm ground on which the church stands not only in this life, but also for the life to come. But standing in something is a bit different than what we think when we encourage people to believe in the gospel. Because sometimes when we talk about believing the gospel, what we have in mind is just some intellectual assent to say we believe that this information is true. That's not what Paul had in mind. Here's the picture that I want you to have in mind when it comes to standing in or believing, which are synonymous, the gospel. The the day was June 30th of 1859. 
And a Frenchman by the name of Charles Blodin had strung a tightrope across the gap of Niagara Falls. It was 1,100 feet long and it was 160 feet above the falls. Can you imagine? (laughs) And he was, the story goes that he was quite the showman and that Bodine would walk out on this tightrope and forward and he would walk back. The story goes that he went out into the middle of the tightrope and made an omelet on the tightrope and ate it while standing on the, on the tightrope. I mean, anybody want to sign up for that? And he was such a showman that, that the story goes, 100,000 people gathered on the ledges to watch him walk back and forth across this tightrope. At one point, he had a wheelbarrow and he was walking back and forth with a wheelbarrow on this tightrope. And he says to the crowd, who believes that I can wheel this wheelbarrow all the way across the tightrope? And the crowd's like, yeah, we do. And he said, who believes that I could put somebody in this wheelbarrow and wheel them across the tightrope? And they were like, yeah, we do. And he's like, all right, I just need one volunteer. And everyone was like, crickets, right? Until one guy volunteered and certainly he did it. Right, right. To stand in the gospel is not just to say, we believe that you can. It's to say, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. I'll stake my life on that truth. Standing in the gospel is synonymous with believing the gospel, but it goes beyond an intellectual assent, or I believe this objective data is true. It's a giving of your whole life saying, yeah, I'll go out on that tightrope if he's the one guiding the wheelbarrow. See, the gospel is good news that becomes our new foundation. The gospel is good news that becomes our new foundation. And that's what Paul wants to begin this section of his letter writing about. He just wants to remind them of the announcement of good news that has become their foundation. And here's why he says it's so important because verse two, by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. This idea of hold fast means that you cling to this truth and this announcement when life gets really, really hard. Because it will, right? Because there will be things that want to sort of push you off of that truth and that story and standing in the center of it. I think of um, in our area here because of earthquakes that when they lay a foundation for a house, they don't just start building on top of the foundation. They actually anchor the house to the foundation so that when an earthquake comes, the house isn't absolutely destroyed. Uh, Paul's saying, I want you to hold fast. I want you to anchor yourself to this story, to this announcement, and to this truth. Bolt your life to it. And the result of doing that is what? Here's what he said. It's what? It's your saved. Salvation. That word means to be healed, to be restored, to be brought back. In every single way that life is broken, the gospel speaks a word of hope and salvation and healing into the center of the pain. It's a beautiful word. But here's what I want you to get. I want you to catch this. That the gospel is not 
advice on how to get saved. It is not advice on how to get saved. It's an announcement that when believed, saves. And those are two different things. The gospel is not something that you are called to do. It's believing in what Jesus has done for you. Or may, we might say it like this, the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's an announcement, not advice. And I think that many people are thrown off by this idea in verse two, where Paul says, unless you have believed in vain, and we're like, well, how can we believe in vain? And what would that look like? And I'm really nervous about that. And I think Eugene Peterson in this paraphrase, the message captures the essence of what Paul is saying when he writes this. He says, I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not some passing fancy. That's funny. I don't care if you think so or not. (laughs) That you're in this for good and that you are holding fast. I love the thrust of Eugene's paraphrase because I think he, he gets to the heart of the question Paul is asking. Are you in this for good? Are you holding fast? Are you in the wheelbarrow? Have you given your whole life to this message? Are you holding fast? And I think the right question might be, well, Ryan, holding fast to what? Holding fast to what? Because I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've heard people talk about the gospel before and I go, I'm I'm not sure that's the gospel. Like you're using the word, but I'm not sure you're defining it the way the scriptures define it. Like, have you ever um, sung a song for a long time and then realized you had the words wrong? I can remember as a kid singing Elton John's song, hold me closer, tiny dancer. Only I sang, hold me closer, Tony Danza. And I'm like, time out. Like, I don't want Tony to hold me close. I'm not sure if I want a tiny dancer to hold me close either, but uh, like, or um, Bon Jovi. Like, I can remember singing Bon Jovi's um, Living on a Prayer, where he says, it doesn't make a difference if we make it or not. And I would sing, it doesn't make a difference if we're naked or not. Right? I'm like, and all of a sudden I go, no, it makes a huge difference. In fact, all the difference in the world, right? And I think sometimes, like, we, when we talk about the gospel, I think we get the words of the song wrong. I mean, like when I, I hear people talk about the gospel, sometimes they mean a Roman's road and sometimes they mean four spiritual laws and sometimes they mean information or advice that somebody has to believe in in order to go to heaven and not go to hell. And I would say that all of those are aspects of the gospel, but when the early church talked about the gospel, those weren't the things they talked about. And maybe just maybe we've gotten the words wrong and I just wanna sing some karaoke today because that, that's, that's one of the ways, you know, if you got the words wrong, you're like singing along and you're like, those aren't the words, wow. Um, I just want us to go back to the scriptures and ask this simple yet foundational question. When the early church talked about euangelion, what was the news they were talking about? What was the announcement that they believe had changed everything? Verse three, Paul starts to dig into that. Here's what he wrote. He said, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And I believe that the fact that Paul received this, we are going to read one of the earliest church creeds 
Many surmise that it was written um, shortly after Jesus has res- had resurrected from the dead, that it was one of the things that was the foundation for the early church. I, I think in so many ways, we are standing on sacred ground. <laughs> that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That who died for our sins? Christ, that Christ died for our sins. And you can see that the early church was using the, the, the name Jesus and Christ almost interchangeably from a very early time. But Christ is not Jesus's last name. You all know that, right? Like if Jesus was playing for the Padres, Christ wouldn't be on the back of his jersey. Of Nazareth would. <laughs> Actually, like, like that was sort of his last name in their day and time. Christ is actually a title and it's a Greek translation of a Hebrew word. The word is Messiah. And it means anointed king or Lord or ruler. And you just have to know every time you read Christ that the Hebrew people would have read that as this is our hope that the Messiah would come. That the true Messiah in David's line would come and he would rescue us and he would rule and he would reign. And then in his rule and reign, he would push back everything that is destroying us. Sin and death and evil would be done away with when the real and true Messiah comes. And Paul goes, he's here. And his name is Jesus. See, the Messiah was somebody who would be set apart for the special task of rescuing God's people and restoring God's good creation. And when Paul calls Jesus the Christ, he's claiming that he is the true long-awaited Messiah that the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him. And the earliest declaration of the gospel, the church declared, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And this is really good news. See, if someone were to ask you for the gospel in one word, I would suggest to you that that word be Jesus. That you cannot have the gospel without the gospels. You cannot have the gospel without the story of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. In fact, Mark, at the very beginning of his gospel, which is one of the biographies of Jesus, but it's also the announcement of what Jesus has done. In the beginning of the euangelion, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's how he starts his whole biography. As if to say, his whole life is euangelion. His whole life is gospel. And he narrows that down a little bit more in a few verses for us in Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15, where he records, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming euangelion, good news, the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the what? Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And when Paul calls Jesus the Christ, he's saying, Jesus is the king of God's long-awaited kingdom. That was a distinct part of what the early church declared as good news. In fact, Luke would record for us in Acts chapter 17, verse 7, that that proclamation that Jesus is king turned the world upside down. Friends, the gospel is all about Jesus. But how many of you know that it's possible to be all about Jesus without being about the things that Jesus was about. (laughs) 
Like my guess is you've seen people who were all about Jesus and you looked at him and went, I'm not sure Jesus would do that stuff. I'm not sure Jesus would say that. I'm not sure Jesus would respond that way. And it's so important that we believe the gospel or that we begin the gospel in the right spot because if we never begin in the right spot, we're never gonna have the right output. We're never gonna become the kind of people that God designed us to become. It's why our mission is to help people live in the way of Jesus with the heart of Jesus. When we say that Jesus is Christ, that he's the king, it implies that we are going to follow him as our Lord, that we are going to obey him. And we cannot say, I believe in the gospel without saying, and we will love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, go of our anger, and forgive those who wrong us. We cannot say we believe the gospel without saying we are receiving Jesus as our king. To believe in the gospel is to live with Jesus as your king. And that's where Paul starts. And I believe that that's where our recounting of the gospel should start as well. Here's what he wrote next, verse three. He said that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, which just a quick timeout on this. Um, When Jesus was alive, James, who is Jesus's brother, half brother, didn't believe that he was who he said he was. (laughs) And I mean, that's fair. Like, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he's God? (laughs) Rise from the dead, (laughs) right? And sure enough, Jesus raises from the dead and says, and he appeared to James. And James becomes one of the early leaders in the Jerusalem church. You can read about that in Galatians. Amazing. And Paul writes, and then he appeared to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. A few things about this euangelion and about this gospel. Number one, Paul claims that it is in accordance with the scriptures. And most scholars would suggest that Paul's not pointing to one passage, although you can go to Isaiah chapter 53 and you could see what Paul's talking about. More than that though, he's talking about the scope of scripture that is all about God's reconciling and saving work, what he will do in Jesus for all of mankind in accordance with the scriptures. But then the second thing that he said, notice this, is that Christ was buried. Like, like he wants us to know he really was dead. He wasn't partly dead or almost dead. Thank you to those of you that caught the Princess Bride reference. He was fully dead. He was buried. And then he was raised Like he was dead and he walked out of the grave and you can know that, why? Because then he appeared to a bunch of people. And Paul starts to list the people and it appears that the people in the Corinthian church might even have been able to go and talk to some of these witnesses. Tell us what it was like to meet the risen Christ. Like what was it like to to put your fingers in the holes in his hands? Like like what did the risen Christ talk about? What 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 was the message that he gave you? And Paul goes, you could track a lot of those people down. 
And all of this, all of this, that he died, that he buried, that it happened, in a, that he was buried, that he rose again, that it happened in accordance with the scripture, all of this was to prove to you and I, to validate the claim that Christ died for our sins. It's all built to prove that point. Now, that word sin in the New Testament in the Greek is the word amartia. Will you say that with me? Amartia, right. And it means to miss the mark. It's the picture of an archer sort of pulling back an arrow and missing the bullseye by maybe just a few degrees or maybe by a lot. It's missing the mark. But the etymology of the word is, I think, a little bit more fascinating than just the definition. Um, Amartia is two words put together in the Greek. Ah, which means not, and meros, which means together. And so sin literally means not together or not a part of. As if to say that sin has fractured us, that it's, that it's broken us, that we were once whole and sin has driven us apart. Or, or maybe even better, that we were once connected to God and that sin has driven a wedge between us and our good heavenly father. As the prophet Isaiah would write, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And here's the bad news. We need to go to the bad news first before we can get to euangelion. The bad news is that that wedge between you and God results in death. The wages of sin is what? Death. Because sin creates a gap between you and the author of life. That's the truth of the matter. And it's affected every single one of us in this room and every single person you will ever lay eyes on. Nobody escapes the plight of being caught in sin that severs them from the life that God designed them to live. Um, when I was a, a kid, we, I grew up in Orange County and loved boogie boarding. And um, my mom would take us to the beach um, almost every day of the summer. At least that's the way I remember it. And... Um, there was one day, it was just these massive waves. And it was, as a kid, one of those days that you just absolutely lived for, right? And I can remember putting my wetsuit on and getting my fins on. And I'm sure I was singing, um, you, you know, hold me closer, Tony Danza, in my head. And... Um, and paddled out and was just having a great day, but the waves were powerful. And the rip current came in and started to pull us out. And I can remember as a 12-year-old kid trying to get into the shore and just couldn't do it. And my heart was starting to beat fast. And I don't know what my mom was doing on the shore, but in the water, I was freaking out. And it just seemed like, I don't know if you've been there, the harder I tried to paddle in, the worse it got. Anybody been there? And I just kept getting pulled out more and more and more. And I thought, well, this is it. This is where I die, right? <laughs> And um, a lifeguard on a jet ski came and they pulled me up onto the jet ski. And that's sort of the ride of shame at the beach. You're like, hey, I'm the idiot that almost got, yep, that was me. Um, but what were they doing? They, they, were, they were healing, they were saving, they were restoring the gap that was between me and safety, me and the shore. And when Paul writes that he died for sins, what Paul is claiming is that Jesus died to bridge the separation our sin had made and to reconcile us to our good and gracious father. Friends, he did that by giving himself for us on our behalf and in our place. The reformers would call this the great exchange. Listen to what, the way Paul put it. He said, for our sake, for your sake, he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus who lived a perfect life, 
to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the what? Righteousness of God, the great exchange. He gets my sin and I get his righteousness. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He takes upon himself the death that we deserved because of sin. He became our substitute. And then he imparts to us the life that he rightfully earned when he walked out of the grave with victory in his hands. This is the announcement of good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Jesus is king and sin is forgiven. That means that you've been brought near, that God in his righteousness and holiness and in his grace has come to you. You were out at sea and he grabbed you and put you on his jet ski and he has brought you to shore. And the forgiveness of sins, I think it's helpful to think of it in two categories. The first is to think of it in a judicial sense, meaning that in the courtroom where God is the righteous judge, you are right this very moment, and you will be on the day that you stand before him declared innocent. All the wrong that you've done has been washed away by the blood of the lamb who gave himself in your place. Paul would write it like this, and he would say, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all, everybody say all, all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He has set aside nailing it to the cross that through the work of Jesus, all the wrong that we've done has been covered by the blood of the lamb. Praise be to God. We are innocent standing before God. Here's what that means, you guys. Here's what that means. That means that on your worst day, you're still fully forgiven. It means that even when you are at your low, you can know that God paid the penalty for even that. All the ways that you beat yourself up, all the ways that you carry guilt, just know he carried all that to the cross and he died for it. So the scriptures will say, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And amen. No more guilt because you're not guilty. You're innocent. But it also means not only in the judicial sense that we have been made innocent before him, it also means that we have been brought near in relationship. Our relationship has been restored. There's no distance between you and God. If you are in Christ and you think there's distance between you and God, I can assure you that distance is only in your head. It's not in his heart. Listen to the way that Paul would write it. He said that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Don't you love this? On one sense, he writes about the ledger that's been wiped clean. And then in another sense, he writes about reconciliation where we just get to run into the loving arms of our father where he doesn't have any anger, any bitterness, any rage towards us. He just loves us. Reconciled. The world to himself, not counting trespasses against them because that's what would cause us to be separated. And he entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Here's what that means. So if the the fact that we're innocent means we don't need to carry guilt, the fact that we're reconciled means we don't need to carry shame. That we can be naked and unashamed with God 
Because we know That because of the cross, because of the forgiveness of sins, even when we are fully known, we will still be fully loved. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Because here's the truth. Please don't miss this, you guys. You either stand with your sin or you stand with your savior, but there's no other place to stand. And either we pay the penalty for our sin or he does. There's no other way. And the truth of the matter is the devil is called the accuser because that's one of his main tactics. He's going to come at you and remind you of all the things you've done and all the ways you failed and all the reasons you should feel guilt and shame. And here's the truth. You can believe the gospel, get in the wheelbarrow and say, I know that's what I've done, but let me remind you of what Jesus has done. He took all of my sin on him and he delivered to me all of his righteousness. All the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but in whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. Amen. And amen. I I need to take a deep breath. (laughs) Man, I'm... This is deep in my bones, you guys. And how can we know it's true? And that's that's the point Paul wants to make, right? Because this begins with he has died for sins and then he goes to great extent to tell us we can know it's true because Jesus really did walk out of the grave. And when the early church talked about resurrection, they didn't just have in mind what Jesus had done on that day so many years ago. When they talked about resurrection, they talked about what they believed was coming for them also. In verse 20, Paul would say it like this, that in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, the prototype, the the picture of what we will one day be of those who have fallen asleep. And this is central to the gospel. Paul puts breadcrumbs up top in verses one through 11. He's gonna dive into it. We're gonna unpack this next week at length. But today I want you to know that part of the gospel is not only that Jesus is king, sin is forgiven, but death is defeated. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. To quote Friedrich Buchner, resurrection means that the worst thing is never the last thing. I love that. I love that. And now Paul will end by giving us a personal picture of the impact of believing that Jesus is king, sin is forgiven, and death is defeated. Here's what he said, verse nine. He said, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Now, if you've read Paul much, you know that he's often quite self-deprecating, self-depreciating, which wasn't common for people in the ancient world. People in the ancient world really wanted their heroes to be heroic. Like we might count this as, gosh, Paul's so authentic and he's just so vulnerable. Not so in the ancient world. People would have been like, why'd you pick this guy? Which is exactly why Paul tells you where Christ brought him from. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 or chapter 1 verses 15 and 16, Paul will claim that Jesus chose him to carry the message of the gospel so that in him as the foremost, the chief of all sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says, "God chose me so that you could never sit here today and think my life is too far gone." 
Never think your life is beyond the grace and mercy of God. Paul says, I am held up on display, not because I'm awesome, but because I'm a complete failure and God's faithfulness was sufficient for me. It will certainly be sufficient for you. By the grace of God, Paul writes, I am what I am and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Don't read Paul wrong here. He's not saying that he worked for grace. He's saying that grace worked him over. (laughs) He's saying, I'm a different person. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet when it got inside of the apostle Paul, he goes, it just lit me up, man. I'm a different person because of the grace of God. And this is part of the gospel. Friends, Jesus is king, sin is forgiven, death is defeated and grace is renewing right now, today. And it's interesting, if you start the gospel in the right spot, like that Jesus is king and we're called to obey him, sin is forgiven and we've been unified with him, death is defeated and joy is on the way, both now and forevermore, and grace is renewing. Then we get a gospel that doesn't just save us someday, it saves us today. Like the gospel that Paul preached and that Paul believed claimed, you don't need to die in order to experience victory. Grace can give you new life today. (laughs) His gospel doesn't just save us from sin. It remakes us into saints. (laughs) Praise God. Praise God. I'd love for you to just hear a story and see a picture of the way that this kind of grace is still at work in our day and time today. I'm gonna introduce you to a friend of mine. His name's Andy. He's new to our community of faith, but I think his story will encourage you. Here's Andy's story. My story is a little bit more of a prodigal story. Definitely had the seed planted. I believe I was saved at a young age, but walked away. Being at a young age, I don't think I had the full understanding of what temptation was gonna be out there. I had my first girlfriend. Pretty early on, we decided to start experimenting with alcohol. Got a DUI, started getting into family issues, and eventually got in trouble with the law more seriously. From 2006, I just started going in and out of prison, you know, um, not focusing completely and not giving myself over to Christ. And in 2011, I was in a severe car accident in which I was drinking and I ended up hurting somebody. It was my passenger, by the grace of God, really by the grace. Um, I believe the accident happened to sit, spare and save our life. I don't think I'm supposed to be here according to my will, but God saved me. He allowed for one more chance. I was charged with a DUI with GBI and it was my third strike. I was looking at 37 to 42 years to life. And it was at that moment that I realized you've been taking God's grace for granted. It was very, very scary. Um, I remember numerous times calling out to God and I was reading my Bible, studying and centering myself. You know, while I was going through my sentencing, I, I was in custody and I really felt God, I was like I was allowing him back in. And I remember specifically calling out, Lord, I'm going to need you. And I commit myself to doing my time with you because I'm not going to be able to get through this on my own. On my own is what got me here 
and I don't want to end up in prison for the rest of my life. Christ was with me through all of it, even in my sin. So in 2011, I was sentenced and I got released in June of 2022. I don't ever want to take his grace for granted. 11 and a half years behind bars amongst what society deems the worst of the worst. You know, we all have fallen short of the glory of God and we're all sinners, but society really judges us for being in there and having God's grace really did help with that. And I do feel that I've been embraced here. Coming to this church specifically has been a blessing and I've seen God working each and every day. And I see him using people and I believe he's even using me to be an encouragement to others. And it's just so wonderful to see his grace at work. One thing I would like to say about my baptism, I had it on my heart to get baptized amongst those that I'm gonna be around. So I waited. And so on August 28th, I was baptized. And it's because Manual Faith has wholeheartedly embraced me and they're my family. And these are who are the people who I'm accountable to. The Bible study that I'm a part of, who I'm accountable to. Now being delivered, I've been sober for 11 and a half years and grateful that God has delivered me from that. And without him, I'd be dead and I wouldn't be able to be blessed with the presence of everybody here at Emmanuel Faith. Don't take God's grace for granted. Don't be lukewarm. Be sold out for Christ. He loves you. He's waiting for you. For me, it took prison, 11 and a half years. Here I am, so God's grace is awesome. God bless everybody. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks, God. So grateful for, for Andy's story and the, the picture that it paints. I, I think every single life will get to the point where at one, at one point, even followers of Jesus, we're, we're, we're gonna get to the point where we go, can this story stand up in the face of the pain? Can this truth, this announcement hold me when it feels like life is falling apart? I mean, just this week, I had conversations with uh, a young man who's a, addicted to pornography, a young couple who's not married, but they're pregnant, a family who's dealing with just, um, just really painful mental health issues. And I, I think they're at that point where they're like in the wheelbarrow and going, is this gonna hold me in this moment? And the conviction that we have is it because Jesus walked out of the grave and that his grace has been unleashed into the world that by faith we step into the promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And I love it that Paul's story and Andy's story tell us that the good news is so good that you're never outside of the reach of God's grace. But Paul would close this section by saying, whether it was then I or they, so we preach and so you believed. (laughs) And here's where he lands. He lands on the reality that the gospel is sovereign gift, but that it must be received by personal faith. That the news only becomes effective in your life and active in your life when it becomes your new foundation. 
And so I, I feel a little bit like Philippides this morning where I get to run in and, and, and I haven't run 26.2 miles this morning, okay? Um, and I'm not coming to declare to you that the Athenians are gonna be victorious over the Persians. I am coming to you today. I'm running to you and I wanna look right at you and I wanna tell you the gospel, Jesus is King. Sin is forgiven. Death has been defeated and grace is unleashed. And my question for you is, will you get in the wheelbarrow? Do you believe? Let's close our time in prayer and just asking the Lord to search our hearts and know us. Some of you are here this morning to believe on that news in that news for the very first time. And I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in just a moment. And some of you are here to be reminded that you're called to hold fast. Even in the storms of life to say, God, I'm holding on to this announcement, this good news, this gospel, this euangelion, that you are the king of the world, that you've conquered my sin that you have defeated death and that my, your grace is alive in me today. And so we're just gonna close our time in prayer. And if you're in either one of those spots where you're saying back to God, God, for the very first time, I wanna believe and receive and stand in the gospel. Or if you're in the place where you're saying, God, today I'm, I'm just, I'm coming home. I've heard the story a lot. I maybe even believed it, but today I wanna say back to you, I'm, I'm in. I'm holding fast. If that's any of you, would you just raise your hand or online, you can just acknowledge online that you're making that decision. Let me see you. Right on. Right on. Right on. Yeah. Let's pray. Let's pray. Praise God. Lord, we would bring our whole self before you and give ourselves back to you as the God who's given himself for us. Thank you for the announcement of what you have done, Jesus. And if you're in the, this space or online and you're one of those people that are saying, yeah, Jesus, I'm, I believe him for the first time, you could just say something simple to him like, Jesus, I believe that you are the king and I give my life to you. I surrender to you. Thank you for forgiving me and paying the penalty for my sin. I confess that I need that. Thank you for the reality that you've conquered death, that I don't need to fear that anymore because I know I'll be with you. And thank you, Jesus, that your grace is alive. Even today, would you fill me with your spirit and allow me to walk in your way with your heart. And for the rest of us, Lord, we would just wanna say back to you that we trust the person on the back of the wheelbarrow more than we trust ourselves, <laughs> And so we give you our whole life, Jesus, that you're Lord, you're Savior, you're God, and we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.